0: 225 274 1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's word. all today, Master Savior. I have come seek you. Good evening, everyone. How are we doing? Awesome. Okay, praise God. Well, first and foremost, I want to say um, that, as Pastor Philip said, we were actually not here at the weekend, obviously, and um, I'm sorry that I missed the VBS day on Sunday, the fun day. I've heard nothing but massively huge, um, great reports about the day. Uh, Apparently, everyone had a lot of fun. Is that right? Yes. Okay, it was an awesome day all round, and just to echo again uh, what DJ said and Pastor Philip. Last week, I mean, to, just to actually witness that, uh, the VBS, I'm not going to take any credit for actually being involved with the kids. I was stuck in the office the majority of the week, uh, but whenever I did come out, I mean, the kids were having a great time. And so many volunteers having a fantastic time as well. And to be honest with you, I'm not going to name any names, but some of the adults, I, I'm not too sure if they weren't having more fun than the kids, to be honest with you. Um, but it was, say I say, it was, we had a great weekend up in New York, up in Connecticut. As Pastor said, um, we were going up there and ministering um, and visiting uh, Pastor Felipe and his church, Citywide Church in um, Connecticut. Pastor preached up a storm on that Sunday morning. It was a fantastic weekend all around. We got to hang out with some good people. Um, Pastor also did a wedding on the Sunday evening as well. Um, it was fantastic. It was a real shame that the only burden that we actually had to carry all the weekend was uh, the 85-degree sunshine weather with 5% humidity. It was awful. I mean, really awful. I'm so glad to be back in Louisiana, 100 degrees and 240% humidity. Awesome. Okay, so this evening, um, Pastor has bestowed on me the honour of being able to um, share a word this evening, and as he said. This is something that was given to me um, that, obviously, I've, I've been spending time on over the last few weeks. Oh, okay. Is that better now? So I heard the ring and went the opposite direction, thought it was helping and I was hindering. Okay, so, um, and this message, basically, tonight, uh, <coughs> pastor's given me, as I said, the honour of being able to speak to you tonight, and with it being the Wednesday evening, um, I know the Wednesday evening crew are hardcore, is that right? Um, So, I know that you're going to be able to handle um, plenty of scripture, so I'm going to be running through a fair amount of scripture this evening. Um, There's also going to be a couple of challenges that are coming out to you as well. Um, I believe very firmly that we should always be looking to grow and to stretch ourselves in the Lord. Uh, I know Pastor is not afraid of stepping on a few toes, um, so as he is my spiritual mentor, I'm planning on doing the same thing this evening. So, um, we'll see how this goes. Okay, so how many people here have at some time or another started an exercise regime? raise your hands, of some form or another, that's the vast majority of us. And we've all heard the expression, yeah, no pain, no gain, correct? Correct. Now an exercise plan requires work and dedication. It provides benefits almost immediately, but for maximum results, we need to uh, be consistent and persistent. The work gets easier as the longer you continue, and the benefits become more noticeable and apparent to you, and to those around you. And as you get fitter and stronger, you look different, you act different, you feel different. Now your walk as a Christian is very much the same as that. As soon as we get saved, it provides benefits immediately. But again, for maximum results, it takes work, it requires consistency and persistency. Again, it gets easier as time passes, and the benefits become more noticeable and apparent to you and to those around you. Now as you become closer to God stronger in your relationship with him, you look different, you act different, and you feel different. So what motivates you to start an exercise regime? Well, normally it's the realisation that something needs to change about you. That something you are doing or not doing means that you're not quite as healthy as you could be. Again, it's the same when you walk with God. Before you're motivated to change your habits, you need to recognise to yourself that something about you needs to improve, that you could be more spiritually healthy. And it's my belief, as I said, that we should be continually challenging ourselves and stretching ourselves to improve. That's not to compete with other people, but to become a better version of who we are right now. In fact, the only person that we should be trying to be better than is who we were yesterday. Now just like becoming physically stronger, living in a Christ-like fashion in the way that God wants us to takes effort, it takes commitment, and a quality decision on our part. The Holy Spirit within us can guide us, can prompt us, and can give us strength and patience to follow through on our choice, but the Holy Spirit will not take over an unwilling vessel and do it for us. So tonight we're going to be looking at the relationships that we have with other people, and our relationship with God, and how the expectations that we have, and the conditions that we set on those relationships, can sometimes limit us and the benefits that we receive from them. So before we dive in, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord... Just thank you for this evening. Thank you for everybody present here, Father. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Philip. I pray blessings over him and his family, Lord. Just thank you for this opportunity I have right now to share your word, God. And I just pray that everyone here would just be listening with an open heart and open mind, Father. And I pray that your words through me would touch people's lives, Lord, and change them for the better. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Now, in case you're taking notes... Which, as Pastor Philip always says, you should do because you are less likely to go to hell if you are taking notes in church. If you are taking notes, the title of this message is performance-related, question mark, pray, exclamation point. So, performance-related, pray. See what I did there? Performance-related, pray. No, okay. All right, it's obviously an English thing, performance-related pay. Never mind. Okay, so uh, my hope in this message is that you might look at yourself and your relationships with others and with God, and you'll decide if you're as healthy and as strong in them as you might be. And if you're not, that you might be motivated to change some of the things that you do currently to improve things for yourself and for those around you. Now, how we act in our relationships and how we react to the people in those relationships is based largely on two things. It's based on the expectations that we have of the other person in that relationship and the conditions that we set within it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, many of the relationships that we have are performance related. How we treat other people, our spouses, friends, children, parents, pastors, our church family, and often how we treat God is based on how we feel they have performed against the expectations that we have of them in the roles that they fulfill in our lives. They did this for me, so I'll do this for them. They didn't do this for me, and therefore why should I do this for them? They treated me well, and therefore I'm happy to do the same for them. They treated me badly, and so I'll pay them back with bonuses. We also set conditions on others, ourselves and God. I will love you if dot dot. dot. I will respect you if dot dot dot. I'll surrender myself to you, Lord, if I will be obedient to you, God, when dot dot dot. And I will stop doing that sin when... dot and so on. Now, I want to look at five areas in our lives where we can often act based on another person's performance and react based on another person's performance. I want to look at how God wants us to behave in these relationships and then look at how we can achieve what he wants from us. So, area number one, at home. The relationships at home. Our spouses, our kids, our parents. Now, our marriage is probably the relationship where it's most easy to slip into the habit of acting and reacting based on the performance of our spouse compared to what we expect of them. Our expectations of our spouses can often be realistic, unrealistic, I should say, and unfair, and not based on reality or understanding. And these relationships, they are also often based on the fact that we've forgotten that men and women don't think the same way, they don't act the same way, they don't process information the same way, They don't speak the same way, and they don't hear the same way. God did not design us to be the same. If there are two people in a relationship that think the same way about everything, one of them is redundant. Sometimes the expectations that we have of our spouse can simply be not communicated very well or not heard. And if our spouses do not do what we expect them to do, or act how we expect them to act, it can lead to disappointment, which can lead to frustration, which in turn can then lead to resentment. Taking offence at something that our spouse has done or said, or not done or said, is a common cause for us to become angry and punish them with our own words or actions. And these are conditional punishments. They did this to me, so I'm going to do this to them. And this can also apply to the relationships with our kids and also with our parents. So let's look at how God wants us to treat those people that are in our home. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, Love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 says Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And then Ephesians 6.2 and 3 says Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth." Now, I, I know I fall short of those things in my home sometimes, and I'm sure, if we're honest, most of us will say the same thing. The second area of our life where we act based on performance and conditions, area number two, this is work. And that's with our boss and with our colleagues. Now, when we go to work, we may feel like it's okay to just turn up, do what we have to do, and not worry about how we treat our colleagues. We may feel it's okay to do exactly what our job description states and no more. Do exactly what we're paid for and not do anything more than that. The condition we might apply here is if my boss wants me to do more, my boss needs to pay me more. Or, my boss is horrible, so why should I work harder for him than I have to? Well, as employees, that might technically be true. But as Christians, it really isn't. Colossians 3.24 says, And whatever you do, Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Now we're to do everything as if we are working directly for God, not for our boss. That means taking pride in what we do. It means turning up on time or before. It means leaving when we're supposed to leave or after. It means doing everything to the best of our abilities and not based on how we feel about our boss. Who knows, what if we stepped up and we went the extra mile in our jobs and outperformed those around us? It might be that very boss that we don't like that gives us a promotion. And how about our work colleagues? How are we treating those people around us? What conditions are we placing on those relationships? Are we talking to those who don't use offensive language but not talking to those who do? Are we ignoring the person in the cubicle next to us because they have different beliefs to us? Because they've got a lifestyle that we don't agree with? or because they don't attend church are we keeping our heads down and not mixing with others because they're on the dark side matthew five sixteen says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven now we're called to be a shining light wherever we go and that includes your workplace what if we shone our light so bright that we impacted on those we work with And then became the reason that that person in the cubicle next to us came to church for the very first time. Okay, area number three in our life, where we can have conditional relationships. Number three, church. With our pastor, with our leadership, church leadership, and other church members. Now, what about our church life? What conditions, if any, do we set on our relationships here? What expectations do we have of our pastor, the leadership, the other members, What expectations do we have that haven't yet been met? What offence am I carrying from something that was said by someone from the pulpit last week, three months ago, or even last year? Are you not serving in this church because you don't like the way one of the leaders has treated you or looked at you in the past? Are you not giving regularly because you're offended that we teach on it every service? And are our expectations realistic and fair? Now I know with all my heart that our pastor and all the leadership here genuinely want the very best for this church and every member of our family but i also know that none of us not one of us is perfect and i've got no doubt that i've caused some of you offense at one time or another for which i apologize now hebrews 13:17 says obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to god give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow that would certainly not be for your benefit. Now that scripture is not saying to follow your pastor blindly. That's not expected. But it is saying that he is accountable to God. And as such, you should trust that he has your spiritual interests at heart. It also says that we should act toward him in such a way that he carries those responsibilities with joy. Let me tell you, the job of a pastor is an incredibly sacrificial job. And it's easy for us sometimes to forget that. But that, as I said, is something that the book tells us. We are to make sure that his job is as joyful as it can possibly be. Amen? Area number four. Our relationship with God. Now, this relationship is the one that affects everything that we do in life. And it affects every other relationship that we have. As children of God, this relationship should be the most fulfilling and the rewarding that we have. Because God desires it to be that way. But very often, it's not. And when it isn't, it's because of us, and it's not because of him. Now there are many ways that we can limit this relationship, and many conditions that we can set on this relationship. Sometimes we can struggle with letting go and trusting God completely with our lives. We have an attitude of, what if God lets me down? What if God doesn't answer my prayers? What if I do submit to God, and it makes no difference? Sometimes we're angry at God, at something that we feel he did to us in our lives. Maybe he took a loved one back home before we wanted him to. Maybe he didn't answer a prayer exactly the way that we wanted him to. Maybe we're blaming him for a bad situation or relationship in our lives or for not fixing a bad relationship or situation in our lives. Maybe we're angry at God because we're single. Maybe we're angry because we're married. Because we're broke. Because we're sick. Because we're not as tall as we'd like to be. Because our car has broken down and we can't afford to fix it. I could go on for hours about the reasons I've heard for people being angry at God. And these are all conditions that we are setting on our relationship with Him. We're saying, I would love you, God, if only you would. Okay, dot, dot, dot again. Now, because our lives do not go according to our plan, we think that God somehow is making mistakes and is underperforming in our life. Because He's not meeting our expectations. And we're guilty of this. All of us. We're guilty of applying God-like standards to our relationships with people and human standards to our relationship with God. Let me explain that. We expect the people in our lives to love us unconditionally and treat us perfectly and never let us down. And yet we're surprised and disappointed when the opposite happens. And yet we are willing to believe that God is incapable of loving us for who we are And we believe that he is continually falling short of what he should be doing in our lives. Now just because we don't know or understand what it is that God is doing, that doesn't mean that he doesn't know what he is doing. In Isaiah 58, 8 and 9, God tells us loud and clear, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. How crazy is it that we would base our relationship with the creator of the universe on how we think he is performing against our expectations for our own life. Our God who created the earth and heavens, who formed us in the womb, who knows us by name, who has forgiven every sin we have committed in our lives, who sent his son to die for us on the cross the God that promises each and every one of us eternal life in heaven, we will not submit to him in humble awe because our paycheck doesn't measure up to what we think it should be, our spouse doesn't treat us as well as we think they should, or because he took one of our loved ones back home at a time that was too soon from our point of view. All of these things are upsetting. I'm not making light of that. They're challenging to us, and they obviously affect us emotionally, but they should never affect how we feel about God. Now, comparing ourselves to other people, forgive me, skipped a page. In Matthew 22, 36, 37, one of the Pharisees asks Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, this is a commandment. It's an instruction. It's a requirement. Our love of God is not to be conditional. God does not need us to love him. He's God. He is in need of nothing. He wants us to love him because it's best for us to love. Area number five, where we set conditions, ourselves. How do we see ourselves? What is the relationship that we have with ourselves? When we speak to ourselves, what kind of things are we saying? Often we can limit ourselves in what we do and what we achieve by setting limits on what we think we can do and what we think we can achieve. Our poor opinion of ourselves, our conditional relationship with ourselves, can put a ceiling on what we can achieve probably more than anything else. The conditions and limitations we place on ourselves can go something like, I could do that if only I was like such and such a person. Or I could do that if only I was smarter. Or only if I had a different personality. Or if this hadn't happened to me when I was a kid. I could be what God wants me to be if only I was more worthy. Comparing ourselves to other people will slow us down. Comparing ourselves to what we think God wants from us will cripple us. The enemy wants nothing more than for us to feel unworthy and weak. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, just as any predator will do, Satan is looking for those of us that are weak and wounded and moving slowly. It's easy for us to look at other people and see their strengths, to see their value, and to see the way that God is working in their lives. It's easy to compare ourselves to them and feel like God has blessed them more than us, or that he rates that person more highly. We can often feel that another person has more of the Holy Spirit working in them than we do. 2 Peter 1.3 states, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us in equal measure. The Holy Spirit in you has the same amount of power and capability as the Holy Spirit that's within Pastor Phil, Pastor Alan, and any other person that you may consider is more godly than you think you can be. Now here's the truth about those that you think are more spirit-filled than you. Someone who lives in a consistently Christ-like fashion does not have more of the Holy Spirit in them than those who do not live in a consistently Christ-like fashion. What they have is less of themselves. If someone looks at me and doesn't see Christ, it's because there's too much of me in the way. If you want God to work in your life the way that he works in other people that you know, allow God to work in your life the way that they do. Submit to him like they do, and get out of his way like they do. Sometimes the conditions that we put on ourselves are based on the past. The guilt and insecurities that we carry make us feel like we're incapable of doing something. Sometimes we're carrying so much baggage that we're permanently loaded down and walking slow. Just getting through a day can be exhausting. Not because of any challenges that we might face in that day, or because of the burdens that we might be facing in the now, but because of the fact that we come into every day already weighed down by the weights of our past. It's like we get out of bed in the morning and put on a backpack full of bricks before we step out of the door. The experiences of our past are all part of our testimonies. Both the good experiences and the bad. They all contribute to the person that we are today. But we should be a product of those experiences and the things that God has taught us through them. And we should be that product but moving forward. We shouldn't still be reliving those experiences. God doesn't care what shape you're in. He doesn't care how broken you feel. He doesn't care how much you are damaged goods. He wants you to give yourself to him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to submit to him. He doesn't want you to think about you, about what you think you do or you don't deserve. He doesn't want you to waste time worrying about how your life is going to turn out. He doesn't want you wasting energy on planning every minute detail of what you're going to do and the rewards and lifestyle that you'll get in return. He doesn't want you wallowing in self-pity or limiting what you do because you think it's not worth it to put in effort, or that your life is going to turn out badly anyways because that's what you deserve, or that's what always happens. What he wants from you is you. What he wants is your submission. What he wants is you to give your life to him. He wants your trust. He wants your faith. We also should not be living a life of guilt for choices and decisions that we made in the past. When we submit ourselves to God, when we give our lives to Christ... He doesn't accept us along with all of our faults and mistakes and sins. He accepts us and washes us clean of our faults and mistakes and sins. He doesn't say, come to me and bring your backpack of bricks with you. He says, come to me and leave that baggage behind. If we choose to continue to carry our backpack, to be burdened by the guilt of decisions and choices we've made in the past, or the troubles that we had before being saved, We will never be free to experience the things that God has in store for our lives. Now, let me give you an example. Many of you know this, but before I was saved on February 24th, 2008, this is who I was. I was single. I was sad and lonely. I'd come to terms uh, with the fact that I would always be single. And I was at peace with that because I felt like it was what I deserved after the way my last relationship had gone and how it had ended. I was clinically depressed. And waiting for a doctor's appointment to go for tests for bipolar disorder. I was taking antidepressants. I was self-medicating with alcohol every single day. I was using pornography every day. I was smoking weed every now and again. I was locking myself away in my apartment and outside of going to work went nowhere. Except to my online poker site where I played semi-professionally every night. And non-stop through the weekends. I was an agnostic. I'd been to church less than ten times in my life for funerals and weddings. On February 24th, Molly led me to Christ Online and instantly I felt changed and I felt cleansed. I actually went in the bathroom. I was violently sick for 15 minutes. When I came out of the bathroom and sat back down in front of the webcam, Molly didn't go into details about spiritual warfare, but she did warn me that because I was now saved, the enemy was going to target me and try and tell me that I wasn't really saved. But she told me to know that I was that I was forgiven, that I was a new creation in Jesus Christ, and I believed her. And my point is this: I completely believed and gratefully received God's grace, yes. His mercy and His forgiveness. I took my backpack off and I left it behind. The next day I went out and bought my very first Bible. I dove into the Gospels, I came to Matthew 11:28 through30. And this is the first scripture that came out of the Bible and shook me. This is my favorite scripture in the Bible because it described exactly what it was that I felt when I was saved so Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 30 says come to me all you who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now the message version of this verse says this come to me get away with me and you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, it says. And it is the knowledge and true understanding of grace that will completely transform every relationship in our lives. If we allow it to including how we see ourselves. God healed me of my depression. I stopped taking the antidepressants. He broke the bondage of alcohol and I stopped drinking every day. He broke the bondage of pornography and I stopped using it. I fully accepted and embraced God's grace and mercy, dove into the word and from day one committed myself to him and my relationship with him. Five years later, I'm married, I'm on staff at a church and I'm preaching the gospel. Who would have thought? All glory to God. My point is, my point is, had I have dwelt on the person I was before I was saved, had I insisted on keeping hold of my backpack of bricks and carrying the guilt of the decisions I've made in my old life before being reborn, I would not be standing here now and walking in God's will for my life. By grasping fully what it is that God's grace has done for us in our lives, it will completely change your outlook on God, on yourself and on everyone around you. God, with his grace, says to us, I don't care who you are. I don't care what it is that you've done. I don't care what your opinion is of me. I don't care what your opinion is of yourself. I love you. Once we accept that on every level, not just hearing it, but believing it, we come to understand that we have already been given infinitely more than we deserve. Once we understand that God has washed us completely clean, it places us in a state of gratitude to him that means we will not judge him based on what we think our lives should look like. Once we take on board that we are sinners who have been forgiven all of our sins when we do not deserve it, it makes it easy for us to forgive others when they sin against us. Once we fully accept that God loves us and allow him to love us the way he desires to, it is impossible not to love him back completely and unreservedly once we love God the way that we were designed to, once we have a relationship with him like we were meant to, our relationship with our spouse, our kids, our parents, our work colleagues, our friends and our church family will all become better and stronger as well. Now to wrap all this up, I want to quickly summarise and give you the key point of this message. Here are five truths about the people in our lives. Number one, people will let you down often without meaning to and often without even realising they've done it. Number two, people will treat you unfairly sometimes, not based on you or something that you've done, but based on them and where they are at that point in time. Number three, people will sometimes say they will do something and then they won't do it. Number four, some people want you to get ahead in life, but not ahead of them. You improving yourself and making changes in your life can be a challenge to some of those around you. And number five, people may sometimes be dishonest with you. Now I'm not saying any of that to be mean, or to lessen the value of your relationships, or to say that you should never trust anyone, or that you should expect the worst. But rather to point out that it's unrealistic to expect that people in your life to be perfect or to treat you right all of the time. Disappointment is often the result of someone not meeting your unrealistic expectations. Not the fact that they actually did something wrong to you deliberately. Conversely, here are five truths about God. Number one, God will not let you down. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Number two, God will treat you fairly. He is a just God. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He is the rock his work is perfect for his, all his ways are justice a God of truth and without injustice righteous and upright is he number three what God promises will come to fruition Second Corinthians 1.20 for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us number four, God wants you to improve to become the person that he created you to be He sets no standards of comparison to other people, but to who it is that he designed you to be. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And number five, God's word is truth. God is incapable of lying. Psalm 119.160 says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is endures forever when God tells you that he loves you and he forgives you he loves you and he forgives you where truth is there is no room for opinion how we feel about the truth is irrelevant we can be blind to the truth it doesn't stop it from being the truth if you're colour blind and you look at a red t-shirt you might see it as brown it doesn't stop it from actually being red so the point of this message is this We need to look closely at what our expectations are of the people in our lives. And we need to make sure that they are realistic. By setting realistic expectations, we can avoid disappointment and conflict. And we can increase our acceptance and forgiveness of others. We need to expect and accept that the people in our lives will behave and treat us like people do. And not like God does. And we must expect and accept that our God will behave and love us like God does, and not like people do. Amen? Amen. Please stand.